Ecclesiastes is such a unique book in the Bible in the sense that it, it um, forces us to wrestle with questions that a lot of other books kind of just give us the answers to. But Ecclesiastes gives the questions. Um, and you'll read through Ecclesiastes sometimes, and um, it almost feels unbiblical. Like it's in the Bible, but in a certain sense, it almost feels unbiblical um, because the kinds of questions it raises, and sometimes it doesn't give the answers, and it leaves you wondering, it leaves you hanging. And at the heart of the book of Ecclesiastes is this question, like, what really matters in life? Like, like what really lasts? What really counts? What really matters in life? And as you watch that video with Mike, um, you know, you hear him say that, and you know, 30, I owned uh, my own trucking company. I thought my life was really going to amount to something. Then this accident, this tragedy strikes, and then he's like, I didn't know if my life would ever amount to anything again. And that forces us to wrestle with, well, what does it mean for your life to amount to something? What does it mean for your life to really count? What's really going to last? And that's at the heart of the book of Ecclesiastes. And this is like a deeply, deeply human question. We, we wrestle with this. And it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, this question can, can force itself upon you in a variety of ways, at a variety of stages in your life. Like, what, what, what matters? Like, what counts? What lasts? Why am I here? Right? And you can be maybe 22, 23, 24. You're fresh out of college. You're just starting your career. And then you're beginning to wonder, is this what I want to do with the rest of my life? Like, like why am I putting in all this time, all this effort? Is this really worth it? Like, what matters? Right? You can be, you can be middle-aged, right? Like, sort of like me. <laughs> right? And now you realize, man, you know, like life has raced by and here I am in the middle of my life and I've gone this long of my adult life. I've got maybe a few, you know, this many years left. Who knows exactly how long? And it's like, what? Is it really worth it? Like, what do I really want to spend the latter years of my life doing? Like, what really matters? Right? Like, that's the whole reason there's this, you know, stereotypical midlife crisis. Right? Like, you're wondering, like, why am I here? What counts? What lasts? You, in your older years, when you're like, I don't have much time left, right? And oftentimes you begin to narrow down your field of focus. And it's like, I just want to spend my last few remaining years with the things that matter most to me. Like, this is a deeply, deeply personal human question. And it doesn't matter whether you're religious or not. It doesn't matter whether you're a believer in God or not. All of us, at some time or another, are going to be confronted with that question, why do I exist? Why am I here? What matters? What really counts? What's solid? What can I hang on to? What lasts in life? I mean, this is just a deeply human question. And the book of Ecclesiastes, and particularly Ecclesiastes chapter 2 that we're going to look at this morning, it forces us to wrestle with this question and reflect on it. And Ecclesiastes is, is sort of like it's sort of like, almost like philosophical reflections. Um, like the way I think about Ecclesiastes is, is uh, I picture this guy going on this quest to figure out the answer to this question. What is life really about? What really lasts? What matters? And he's got like his, his leather bound brown journal and he's got his pen. And as he, he, he goes on this quest, he stops and he sits down next to his fire at night and he begins to write his reflections, what he's seeing, what he's observing, what he's thinking as he's trying to figure out what really matters in life. 
That's what Ecclesiastes is ultimately all about. And so we get to listen in along with him as he tries to figure this out and he writes down his reflections and his thoughts on this topic for us. And so we're going to look at Ecclesiastes 2 today and begin to listen to some of his reflections. Last week, Tucker started this series through the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to spend the entire summer in it. Uh, And Tucker kind of walked down through chapter 1, which serves as sort of like the preface and introduction to the book. Um, And so the author of Ecclesiastes sets up sort of his his initial frame of the book in chapter 1, and he does so with uh, the the refrain, uh, vanity, vanity, all is vanity in the classic King James. Meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless in uh, the NIV or whatever version you read, right? Well, now what happens in chapter 2 is now we're going to figure out, well, how did he reach this kind of somewhat depressing conclusion? Like, like. Um, And we begin to follow with him as he goes on this quest and writes down his observations in his journals about what life is all about and what he's learning about what really matters in life. And here's how he begins that. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1, he says this. He says, so I said to myself, I'm going to begin this process of writing down my reflections and trying various things to figure out what life is all about. So I said to myself, come now, self, I will test you with pleasure. So, so enjoy yourself. Let's just, let's just try this. Let's see if pleasure and enjoyment really satisfies the soul and answers my deepest longings in life and helps me see what really matters. Let's, let's just enjoy life. And he's not going to go the route of like complete debauchery. He's not going to go the route of like complete, you know, debased hedonism. He just wants to go with, let's just, let's just make the most of life. Let's just like really enjoy it. Let's just, you know, do what we can do to to really just have a good life, a pleasurable life, and enjoying life. Let's let's figure out the good life, right? um, In fact, if you look up that phrase, the good life, if you Google it, you'll find Merriam-Webster's online dictionary actually like defines the good life as uh, the, the person who has enough money to do whatever they want and enjoy life. In fact, it uses the example of, like, she had a good career, but she left it behind to move out into the country in search of the good life. This is, what, this is how we approach it, right? Like, that's what he's going to do. He's going to go in search of the good life. And he's like, let's, let's test it out. I've got time. I've got leisure. I've got money. Let's just enjoy life to the hilt and see if that answers this question. What really lasts? What really counts? What makes a life amount to something? And so... He states at the end of verse 1, beginning of verse 2, he states sort of like, before I tell you how I went about it, here's kind of my conclusion, after all. And so he gives us a conclusion ahead of time. He says, and behold, it too was futility. Behold, this quest of satisfying my soul with just pleasure and enjoyment and living the good life, it was Futility, And that word futility is sort of like the, the key word in the entire book of Ecclesiastes. It's the word in Hebrew, hebel, hebel. It's the word that in chapter 1 that is translated in the King James, vanity, or meaningless in the NIV, or futility in this translation. And the reason you see such a variety of translations of this particular word in the book of Hebrews is because it has this wide range of meanings. Um, and so the, the scholars are trying to figure out, well, what's the best range of meaning to use in our particular translation, right? And, and the basic idea of the word hebel is this. It's, it's breath or vapor. 
It's like what happens on a cold morning when you go, and you all of a sudden you see your breath, and it's there for a second, and then it's gone. That's the basic idea of this word. And so when he says it's all futility, it's not even necessarily bad. He's not saying it's all bad. What he's saying is it's all vapor. It's vaporous. It's like smoke. It's here today. It's gone instantly. It's gone. And so sometimes it means that idea of just like temporary, transient, not lasting. Sometimes it means more like the idea of like uh, substantial or solid, like it's just a vapor and it's not solid. There's nothing you can get a hold of. It's just kind of like it doesn't have any substance to it. Uh, sometimes when he's talking about ideas, it means more the ideas like ideas that aren't solid or ideas that are vaporous. And so they're just kind of empty. That's the word. And so he says, so I'm going to test myself with pleasure. And I'll just tell you right up front, he says, it was all, it was all smoke. It was all a vapor. It was all unsubstantial. It all didn't last. It just was, right? And he says this in verse two, he says, I said of laughter, it's senseless. Just, just having as much fun as you can, eh, senseless, uh, end of pleasure. What does it accomplish? Like, okay, we're going to enjoy life to the hilt, but what does that really do in the long run? It's nice, but what does it do in the long run? Right? That, that's his initial conclusion. And then he goes on to tell us, here's how I went about it. Here's my approach to testing this and evaluating this and figuring this out. And so he says, verse 3, I explored with my mind how to refresh my body with wine and how to seize foolishness while my mind was still guiding me. In other words, what he's saying is, I, I figured I'm going to go about life. Life is hard. Sometimes I get stressed. Sometimes I get tired. Sometimes I get worn out. Sometimes I get disappointed or frustrated. And I thought, you know, just, just a little glass of wine here, a beer occasionally here and there, something just to take the edge off in the evening. So I was like, that was a tough day. Let's just have a beer or two. Let's just take, have a glass of wine and just relax. Notice, mind's still engaging me. He's not drunk, right? He's not drunk. He's not going to go complete intoxication. Let's just, I just need a beer to relax. I just need a glass of wine to relax. That's what I decided to do. I'm going to start there, and I'm going to approach life that way until, he says, I could see what good there is for the sons of Adam, the sons of mankind, to do under heaven for the few years of life. And so he's like, I decided just, I'm going to just, I'm going to enjoy life. Part of that enjoyment is going to be, you know, occasional glass of wine, occasional beer, take the edge off of life, just relax, all with my mind guiding me so I could evaluate life because I wanted to know, like, what's really worth it in the few short years of life? And I, I read that verse and I kind of feel like that's, this is like, this is like the gospel of America, right? Like, we're just going to enjoy life. We're going to have fun. Let's, you know, make the most of it, right? Let's find the things we enjoy. Let's do it. When life is a little bit hard, you know, a little bit of a drink here or there just to kind of relax us. Let's just chill a little bit, right? Just enjoy life because here's the thing. Life is short, so make the most of it. That's sort of like the gospel of America, isn't it? Like, life is short, so just enjoy it. Make the most of it, right? That's what he's going to do. And then he says this. He says, here's what I did. Uh, in my quest to try to understand all this, verse 4, I enlarged my works. As, as somebody with wealth, as somebody with some time, he enlarged his works. And here's some of those works. I built, notice it says, I didn't build a house. I built 
houses, plural, like palatial estates in various cities where I could get away and I could enjoy myself. If I felt like, you know, warm weather, I would go to this house. If I wanted to be over here, right? Like I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made, look, gardens and parks for myself. Like I, I, I you know, planted trees of various kinds and beautiful plants and bushes and made a beautiful thing. Think like hanging gardens of Babylon, right? Like that sort of thing. Like that's what I did. I made those sorts of things so I could wander in the evening through the garden if I wanted to, listen to the birds sing, just enjoy the peace and quiet nature. I did that because that was pleasant and beautiful and good. So I made parks and gardens for myself. And I planted in them uh, all kinds of fruit trees. So I had fruit at my disposal. I had orchards of fruit. I could pick whatever I wanted. I had plenty of food from them. I made ponds of water, like little lakes throughout my gardens where I could just sit and, you know, listen by the water and enjoy that moment, right? Uh, he says that uh, made, made ponds for himself, which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. He's got all these forests. He's got all these parks. It's beautiful. It's luxurious. He enjoys it. I bought male and female servants. I had slaves. They're servants born at home. I possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. I amassed silver and gold for myself. I gathered up all this wealth. I had more money than I could imagine. I, I gathered and stored up all sorts of silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. Like my, my bank account was huge. My storehouses were full. I totally had everything I needed. I provided for myself male and female singers. Like I could have a party or I could be alone and I could just call in somebody to entertain me with some music, right? I didn't have the radio, right? Didn't have iTunes, right? Nothing like that. So he, he had entertainment at, at whim. Um, and then he says, and the pleasures of the sons of Adam, many concubines, different woman every night. I had that at my disposal too. I had everything. Now, what he's just described in those verses is like in his cultural context in the ancient Near East, that's like, that is like the dream life. Like in his context, that is what everyone would say, man, that guy had it all. That guy had the best life you could possibly imagine. Every culture has a various kind of picture of that. From culture to culture, it might vary, it might change. From individual to individual, sometimes it might change or whatnot. But what he just described is like, I'm living the dream. I was living the dream. Yeah. For, reflect on your life. Like if you could, if you could live your ideal life, if you could, if you could live your version of the dream life, like what would it be? What does it look like? Like in your heart of hearts, when you're honest, what do you really want in life? Like what's your dream life? True confessions for me. All right. Since I have the microphone and you don't, you probably don't want to confess. So I'll confess for you. Here's, here's what it'll look like for me. What I would like more than anything else in life, if I could do whatever I wanted to do like this guy could, it would be to have enough time and enough money to travel where I wanted to travel, see what I wanted to see, and do what I wanted to do. That would be the dream life for me. If I wanted to go hang out on a Caribbean beach somewhere and lay on the beach and sip mojitos, okay, I'll go do that, right? Uh, if I wanted to go to Europe and tour, you know, classic sites and see, meet all sorts of interesting people, do that, right? If I could go to the Holy Lands and, and have a, a personal tour with a guy who knows all the behind-the-scenes place, I would go do that. Like if, I could have, like, if I could have my ideal dream life, it would be just the freedom and the money to go do what I want to do, go travel where I want to travel, see all sorts of beautiful and interesting places. That, like, like, 
Like when I'm scroll, wasting time scrolling through Instagram, right? Like, this is what I covet. I covet my neighbor's vacations. <laughs> True confessions. That's, that would be, for me, that would be the perfect life. Just be able to go where I want to go and do what I want to do. My guess is that you have something that would be like, this is what I want more than anything else. If I was living the dream, here would be my life. This guy is living the dream. In his cultural context, he has it all. He has anything he wants. In fact, not only does he have all this stuff, but because of all this stuff, look what he says in verse 9. He says, then I became great, and I increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. Like, he became like a star. He became famous. He became a celebrity. Like, people knew him, and they, they're like, man, look at that guy, right? Like, he was, he was Instagram famous before there was Instagram to be famous on, right? Like, he became great and in, uh, increased more than all who preceded him in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. In other words, Look, I'm, he was doing this as a quest, trying to figure out. So in other words, when he says, my wisdom stood by me, he's like, I'm still thinking about this. I'm reflecting on it. I'm evaluating it. I'm critiquing my approach to life. Um, and so he says, all that my eyes desired, I didn't refuse them. Whatever I wanted, because of who I was, because of how well-known I was, because of how much money I had, whatever I saw, if I wanted it, just took it, just bought it, just got it, just went there, just did that. I could, whatever my eyes desired, I didn't refuse them. I didn't restrain my heart from any pleasure. Whatever it was, whatever pleasure it was, like, man, that sounds fun. Let's go do that. Oh, that looks nice. Let's get that. Like, didn't restrain my heart. Didn't empty my heart from any of that. In other words, when you read about this guy, like, if you were here last week and when Tucker introduced Ecclesiastes or if you watched it online, right? Like Tucker used the analogy of like monopoly, like the whole goal of monopoly is to dominate, right? Like to become great, like this guy became great, to own all the properties, right? And to have the most money. And when you have the most money and you own all the properties, what happens? You win. This guy won in real life, like real life monopoly. He had it all um, and he had become great. And what does he say? As he reflects on it, his mind's still guiding him as he evaluates his experience. Didn't deny it. I mean, like, he had everything. Like, he, it wasn't just a matter of him having a little bit of a good life. Like, he had everything. I didn't rest, restrain my heart from any pleasure. Like, full on to the hill. And what does he say? Well, he says at the second half of verse 10, he says, For my heart was pleased because of all my labor. In other words, I had whatever I wanted. I had all this stuff. I was living the dream, and it was nice. It was nice. My heart was pleased. Like, that's good. It's nice, right? Um, my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. In other words, the fact that it was nice, that's what I got out of it. That was my reward. Like, hmm. It's nice. It's kind of nice to be able to do what I want to do. It's kind of nice to be able to go where I want to go. It's kind of nice to be able to do what I want to buy. But that's, that's all it was. It was kind of nice. And that's the only benefit I got from it was, it was kind of nice. Um, and so he says in verse 11, so I considered. At this point now, he's evaluating, right? So I considered all my activities which my hands had done. Everything I'd done, all the works all the parks, all the trees, all the ponds, all the fun, all the pleasures, all the parties, all the enjoyment, all the travels. I considered it all, uh, which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted. 
And behold, it was all futility. It was all hebel. It was all like a vapor, like a breath. It was here and then it was gone. It was nice for today, but then I wanted something different next week, right? Oh, that was a nice vacation, but then eh, how many more do I need to go on? And after a while, it's like, eh, I don't feel like going on another. I've had too many of those. Oh, that was a nice walk in the park, but I could do that any night. What do I want to do now, right? Like it was all just a breath, just smoke, just a vapor, just empty. Didn't satisfy my soul. It was all futility and like trying to grab the wind. I just couldn't quite get a hold of anything solid and meaningful. As nice as it was, it didn't satisfy. And it wasn't really substantial. Um, it was all like trying to grab the wind and there was no benefit under the sun. And that phrase, under the sun, really captures what's going on in the book of Ecclesiastes, where it's like, life in this world, as it now stands, where uh, it's now fallen away from God, and God's presence is, is removed, and we don't walk with God in the Garden of Eden anymore. We live in this world, broken, futile, disappointment, and all the stuff that goes on in this life, that's life under the sun. And he's like, so I had everything I wanted. I had my heart's desire but there was really no benefit to it. Like there was nothing lasting. There was nothing substantial. There was nothing solid about it. It was just nice. It's just nice. Um, and I, I wonder if we believe him. In a, in a country like America, in a culture like ours, right, where we're, we're confronted by advertisements on a regular basis that tell us, oh, you should get that. Oh, you should upgrade this. You know, if you could just do that, right? And it appeals to our, our wants and our desires in a, in a culture, in a country like ours, where we're always being told there's more to be had. You should try that. If you just got this, then your life would be complete, right? I, I kind of think we've bought into that. Like if I just could get the next thing, if I could just do that, then my life would be complete. If I could just go there, then I'd finally be satisfied and happy. I'm not so sure. We believe this guy when he says, I did all that. And it didn't really last. And it wasn't really satisfying. It was just a vapor. I'm not so sure we believe him. He's not the only one that's tried this experiment. There's been plenty of other people who have tried it. And many of them say the exact same things as him. Like, well, if it's just having a good time and just living the dream, man, I'm just not so sure. That's what life is all about. That's what really matters in life. So he tried that. He said, well, that didn't really work. <laughs> Let's try something else. Gets out his notebook. He's going to try a different thing. This time, this, look what he says, verse 12. He says, so I turned to consider wisdom, insanity, and foolishness. In other words, he says, okay, uh, pleasure, that itself wasn't solid. It didn't last. It too was just hebel. Let's try something else. Let's try wisdom. And let's compare and contrast that with craziness and foolishness. Let's just compare that with, you know, living a crazy life, being a bit of a fool, and compare and contrast wisdom and foolishness. So I turned to consider that. And the reason he can do that, he says, is because, um, because there's been enough life history on earth. We have enough kind of like pool of data from the human experience that we can compare, you know, wisdom and fools. 
There's enough of both, right? So he says, verse 12, uh, turn to consider wisdom and craziness and foolishness. For what will the man do who will come after the king except what has already been done before? In other words, like, like you know, life is going to go how life is going to go. People are going to do what people are going to do. Fools are going to do what fools do. Wisdom, you know, wise people are going to do what wise people do, right? So I, I've got a pretty good data pool to compare and contrast wisdom and foolishness. So he opens up his notebook. He writes wisdom versus foolishness. Let's reflect on that. Let's compare that. And here's what he says. He says, verse 13, Then I saw that wisdom surpasses foolishness. Better to be wise. Yep, wisdom is better. It does surpass foolishness. It surpasses foolishness just as light surpasses darkness. Why? Because the wise person, he's got eyes in his head. And the fool, well, he walks about in darkness. In other words, what he's saying is like, yeah, it really is better to be wise because at least the wise person, he actually knows what life is about and where to go. And he can actually, you know, he can, he can keep a job, right? He, he can make good choices. He might raise good kids, right? Like life kind of works better for the wise person because it's like he's walking in the light. He sees things more clearly. He knows what life is about. Like for the fool, the idiot, he just makes bad choices all the time, right? So compare and contrast wisdom and foolishness. Which one's better? Better be wise. It's better to be wise, right? So pursue wisdom. Be wise, right? And yet, and yet, he says, yeah, it is better to be wise. And yet, I know that one and the same fate happened to both of them. For sure, it's better to be wise and be a fool because, you know, at least with the wise person, you can at least live a decent life and life can kind of work for you. But the reality is, the wise person is going to die just like the fool. I mean, die in your foolishness, die in your wisdom, you're both dead. That's just a fact, right? So if you're wise, good for you. Life will go better for you, but you're still going to die. Um, and so he said, verse 15, then I said to myself, well, as is the fate of the fool, it will also happen to me. Like I've tried to be wise. I've worked really hard at being wise. And guess what? I'm going to die too, just like the idiot down the street. Uh, so why have I been extremely wise? Yeah, wisdom is better. It's worth having some wisdom. But why kill yourself trying to get extremely wise? Why kill yourself trying to figure out all the problems of life? Why kill yourself trying to figure out all the complexities of life? It's just not worth it. Why? Because you're going to die too. So just be wise enough to kind of do okay in life. Why kill yourself? It's like, man, I'm going to die anyhow. And so he says to himself, this too is futility. This too is hebel. Right? It's like, yeah, wisdom is better, but we're both going to die. And it's like, so then what? Does that make life any better? Like, yeah, wisdom kind of what? But it's like, but you're still dead. You're still dead, whether you're wise or a fool. And so it too is a vapor, kind of empty. Doesn't totally satisfy. Doesn't deal with the, the ultimate leveler in life, death. Fools die. Wise people die. So at one level, we all end up at the same place. And so this, too, is hebel, futility, emptiness. It's not the answer to the meaning of life. 
And then he goes on and he says in verse 16, thinking about all this and reflecting on the, the futility of even wisdom, he says, for there's no lasting remembrance of the wise along with the fools. Like, guess what? Wise people, after they die, they're forgotten. Just like the fool, after he dies, he's forgotten. Both are forgotten. They're, not just that their life ends, the memory of them even ends. There's no memory of either of them since in the coming days, everything will soon be forgotten and how the wise and the fool die alike. They're both going to die and they're both going to be forgotten. And that's that. And that's a real bummer. And it's true. Like I taught for 19 years at Boise Bible College full time. I attended Boise Bible College as a student. Uh, One of my professors when I was a student and one of my colleagues when I was a teacher was a man named Kenny Beckman. Kenny Beckman uh, moved from Nebraska to Boise, Idaho to become the president and one of the professors at Boise Bible College in the 1940s. He taught there until the 2000s. Like over 60 years, he taught at Boise Bible College. You walk on campus today and you talk to most of the students, they may have heard his name. They may have heard his name, but they have no clue who he is. They have no clue what he did, what he sacrificed to help Boise Bible College be what it is. They have no sense of his teaching, what it was like to sit in his teaching. Nothing. He's pretty much a distant memory, forgotten. And that's the way life goes, isn't it? I taught there for 19 years. I uh, stepped down from full-time teaching at Boise Bible College in 2014, eight years ago. Um, I still teach an occasional class on campus, but most of the students don't even know who I am. I walk on campus and I'm a stranger. It's only been eight years and I'm forgotten and I'm not even dead yet. <laughs> this is life. And he, the, the author of Ecclesiastes is looking at it and he's like, Hebel, Hebel, it's all a vapor. It's not solid. It's like trying to grab the wind. Like Wisdom itself, even though it's better, it still doesn't satisfy the longing of my soul for what really matters and why I'm really here, what counts, what makes my life amount to anything. And so, this is what he writes in his journal. Perhaps it's a bit how you're feeling. Verse 17, so I hated life. So I hated life. Like, I had everything my heart desired. Hmm, nice, but yeah. I was smarter and wiser than just about anyone else. And, well, I'm going to die anyhow. So I hated life for the work which had been done under the sun, for all my efforts, for all my labors to become wise, to figure life out, to answer the questions, to teach people, for all my efforts in building parks and gardens and orchards and ponds and amassing all this stuff and all this wealth, for all my work. I hated life for all of that. Um, For the work which had been done under the sun was unhappy to me. This guy's in a bad spot, and he's unhappy. Why? Because everything is, everything is futility. Everything is Hebel. Everything feels insubstantial, temporary, not lasting, not solid. Everything didn't satisfy the longing of my soul. Everything is like trying to grab the wind, like the things I'm trying to make life count, to make my life amount to something, and it was all, it's like trying to grab a hold of the wind. 
Not only did he just hate life in general, but look at verse 18. He says, and I hated all the fruit of my labor. Like, I looked at all the stuff I had amassed. I looked at all these parks and all these gardens and all my homes, and I'm like, hated it. It's like, eh, it's nice and all, but it, it's not real. It's not solid. It's not lasting. So I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. Because why? Because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. I'm going to die and somebody else is going to get it. I'm going to die and that company I worked and, and busted my tail for, that's going to go to somebody else to lead. I'm going to die and no longer am I going to be around to care for my family. Someone else is going to lead my family and, care and influence my family. I'm not going to be there. I'm going to die and, right, like all the stuff I poured my energies into to try to make my life count, I'm going to die. And now I have no control over it. I'm going to die and leave it to the one who comes after me. And who knows, catch this, whether he will be wise or a fool. I'm going to leave all my, my most important things to somebody else. And he may be an idiot, Maybe ruin it, like run the company into the ground. Maybe a jerk and destroy my family and my family legacy. Right? Like, who knows? Like, if you're a pastor, yeah, next pastor after you, well, your church may end up shrinking and dying because he may not be a very good pastor. Like, it doesn't matter what it is. Like, a, you work so hard and try to find your meaning into all this, and then all of a sudden you die and it goes to somebody else. And so he says, this too. It's futility. It's empty. It's passing. It's not substantial. It's a vapor, a vapor. And so, verse 20, as we read in his journal, this is what he says. Therefore, I completely despaired over all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. Like, I got to a point where I was like, ah, Welcome to church this morning, right? We had a depressing sermon. <clears throat> here you are. If you're first time here, sorry, I'm not trying to depress you, right? This is where this guy is at. He's facing life squarely in the face, as we all need to do. And he's saying, what really matters in life? And I tried living the dream. Nah, that wasn't it. I tried being smarter than anyone else and wiser than anyone else and figuring all that out, right? No, that wasn't it. I tried everything I could think, to think of, and it didn't work, and I completely despaired over all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. When there is a person who has labored with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then he gives his legacy to someone after him who has not labored for it, like, I worked so hard, and then I die, and then they take over, and they didn't have to work for it, and it's like, that's futility. Um, and it seems like a great evil. Four, verse 22, for what does a person get in all his labor and striving with all he does? Like, what do you get for all this effort, all this work, trying to be wise, building things, doing things, working hard, going, going, going? What do you get for it all? What do you get? Well, what you get is activity that's painful and irritating. Because all his days, his activity is painful and irritating. Like, man, it's like, I got to deal with people. I got to put up with this, and this isn't fun, and this is hard, right? Every, if it's your job, like every job has things that are painful and irritating, right? Like, what's the point of all this? And not only so, he says, and even at night, my mind doesn't rest. I'm thinking about, I got to make sure that's, oh, don't forget to do that tomorrow. Oh, I need to do that. Oh, I got to deal with that conflict at work tomorrow. And your mind is spinning, and you're not sleeping, and now you're overtired, right? Like, what's the point of all of this? 
This too, he says, is futility. It's just a vapor. So what really matters in life? What really matters? And then what the author of Ecclesiastes does is he gives us sort of like an initial conclusion. As he writes in his journal and he writes these observations and these thoughts, he's like, so, so here's sort of an initial thought I have about this. He gives us an initial conclusion, not his ultimate conclusion. His final conclusion will come at the end of the book. But here he gives an initial preliminary conclusion. This is what he says. He says, so verse 24, there's nothing better to do in life than this than for a person to eat and drink and find some good in the midst of his trouble. Life is hard. Life is sometimes painful and irritating. Life isn't always easy. So here's what you can do. Just eat, drink, and be happy. Make the most of it. Right? Like enjoy, enjoy your life. Because that's all you got. So enjoy it. But it's not all he says. This is what he says. He says, this too I have seen, that it is from the hand of God. Being able to just enjoy your life and just to receive it as a good thing with all its complexities and difficulties and questions and and frustrations and inequities and all the, the trouble of life, to be able to actually enjoy your life, that's a gift from the hand of God. He says, for who can eat and who can have joy apart from him? Who can really just sit at their table contented and satisfied and happy with life if they don't live their life with God, if they live their life apart from God? Notice what he's just done. He's, he's been describing life under the sun, right? Living on this fallen world, broken and all, as if this is all there is. If there's nothing more than this life, hevel, 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 right? It's all a vapor. But here in this moment, he punctures the sky. He says there's something beyond the sun. There's God beyond the sun. And and this life that you've been given, it's a gift from him. And your ability just to sit around your table with your loved ones and your family at the end of the day and enjoy your life in contentment, that is a gift from the hand of God. And in fact, there's no way you can really do that without him fully and completely, particularly in view of the great equalizer death. So he says, so enjoy your life. But remember, you got to do that with God. You got to do that with God. And then he says in verse 26, for to a person who is good in his sight, literally for a person who is good before him. In other words, for, for a person who, who lives before the face of God, who lives their life in God's presence. For to that person who is good in his sight, he, God, has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. So for that person who remembers God and gazes upon God and holds God before his mind's eye, to that person, God will give wisdom and God will give joy and delight in life. But uh, to the sinner, and the sinner in this context is, is the person who doesn't know God, who doesn't walk with God. They may believe in God, they just don't organize their life with God. They're living their life apart from God. They're gathering up all the stuff in life and trying to make the most of life with no real uh, meaningful walk with God. For to that person, to the sinner, here's what God gives. God gives the task of gathering and collecting, of harvesting uh, and storing up, right? Like reaping and storing up in bigger and bigger barns. To that person who lives apart from God, he has given the task of gathering and, and storing so that he may give it to the one who is good in God's sight. That guy's going to die, and all his stuff that he's gathered up, where's that ultimately going to get him, and where's that ultimately going to go? Ultimately, in the long run, 
person who lives before God will benefit from it. And so he says, so this, this task of the person who doesn't know God, who's working, 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 gathering, 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 trying to find out this task of theirs, that too is futility and striving after the wind. It's like, it's just like, I just can't get anything solid in life. Um, well, that's, that's a happy text of scripture, isn't it? Um, I'm pretty convinced that Jesus has Ecclesiastes 2 in mind in Luke chapter 12. And I'm pretty convinced that in Luke chapter 12, Jesus is applying some of the insights, reflections, and thoughts of Solomon from Ecclesiastes chapter 2 to the question that gets asked to him in Luke 12. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus has been teaching, and a, a guy comes up to Jesus and asks him a question. He says, look, our, our fathers died. My brother is obligated by law to divide his inheritance with me but he won't do it. So Jesus, can you actually be like an arbitrator between us? And can you get my brother to divide the estate? And then Jesus engages with this guy and answers him by telling a story, by telling a parable. And in the parable, what you get is you get a man who's a farmer and his farm is just booming. Like he's getting everything he wants, bumper crop year after year, so much so that he's, his barns are now too small. Um, and so he builds bigger and bigger barns. He stores everything up in those barns. And this is what he says, Luke chapter 12, verse 19, this, this story that Jesus tells, this man who has these, uh, this bumper crop, bigger barns, he says this. He says, I will say to myself, self, you have many goods stored up for many years to come. Like, gather it and collect it, gather it and store it up, just like the guy uh, in Ecclesiastes 2. You've got many goods that you've gathered and harvested, you put in your barns, you've stored them up. It's actually the same word there as it is in Ecclesiastes 2. Store it up for many years to come. So, relax, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. That's, that's almost right out of Ecclesiastes 2. Here's this guy, bigger and bigger barns. So you got all the stuff you want. Farming has been great. Just sit back and enjoy your life. Relax, eat, drink, be merry, enjoy your life. The problem is, this guy in the story, that's all he's got in life. And he's not doing it with God. He's not doing it in connection with God. And so, verse 20, so God said to him, there in Luke 12, God said to him, fool, fool. You're being foolish. If you think that's what life is all about, if you think having everything you could ever dream of in life and being able to sit back and enjoy life, if that's what life is all about, guess what? doesn't work. So you fool, he says. God says to him, this very night, your soul is demanded of you. This very night, I'm calling it in. You're going to die tonight. Heart attack in bed. You're going to die tonight. Your donkey's going to tip over and you're going to fall down a cliff. I don't know how he's going to die. But somehow before morning comes the next morning, he's gone. He's dead. You're going to die tonight. And as for all that you have prepared, all that you've collected and stored up in those bigger and bigger barns, guess what? Who's going to own it now? Just like in Ecclesiastes 2, you're going to die. And who gets your legacy? Who gets all that stuff? Who's going to run the business, right? Who gets it all now? You're going to die. And who's going to own it now? And then Jesus makes the point in Luke 12. Luke 12, 21, Jesus says, So such is the person who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. 
He's harvested and gathered. He's collected and he's stored up. He's amassed everything. He's living the dream and he's amassed everything his heart desired. He didn't refuse anything his heart desired. He amassed it all. He had all this stuff and he thought, look, I could just enjoy the rest of my life and then death happens. And so Jesus says, guess what? This guy in my story, that guy in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, if you're living only for life under the sun... Like, we're made for this world, right? We were made to live in the Garden of Eden in partnership with God and extend God's kingdom and reign throughout the world. We were made for that, but then that got ruptured because of our disloyalty to God. So we're made for this world, and this world will be reborn and renewed. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth, but it's not here yet. So under the sun, we have a disappointing, vexing, vexing, fallen world. And things don't always make sense. So if all you're living for is amassing Whatever form of satisfaction and pleasure and enjoyment you can find in this world, Jesus says, guess what? It doesn't last. It's a, it's a vapor. It's smoke. It's a pebble. It's not solid. It's empty. It might be nice. Some of it can be good, but it's not going to last. So what, what really matters in life? What really matters in life? And for the guy in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and for Jesus in Luke chapter 12, what really matters in life is living before God. With whatever pursuits we're in, whatever we're doing in life, living well before God, that's really all that's going to last. In view of the great equalizer death, that's what matters. And that's what's going to last. And when I read Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and I reflect on it, and I, I process it, and I meditate on it, what it makes me want to do, and I hope it makes you want to do the same thing, is I don't want to forget God. In all my, even serving of God, and even all my busy work, and even all the jobs, and even all the tasks of just getting through life, and the difficulties, and the good, and the hardship, I don't want to forget God. I want to live before him, and I hope you do too.